the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. It didn't make any sense to me, and I remember just being stunned and thinking, you truly don't ever know anybody. The the darkest parts of themselves you're never going to see, and you people aren't always what they seem, and you people often don't let other people see that side of themselves. Welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek, and I'm here with Alexis Linkletter. And Lex, I was just thinking about the fact that we haven't seen each other in a while, and it's making me really sad. I know, really sad. It definitely before before your trip was the last time, so we need to uh, get on that. I know. We see each other via Zoom all of the time, almost, almost every, every day. day, but it's not enough. No. It's I need too it COVID in the flesh. feeling. Yes. I know. We, need, we need it in the flesh. Yes. Um, I'm going to jump right into the day today because it's very exciting. It is Moon Day, which what? was the anniversary of when we first walked on the moon in 1969. That so, is exciting. And it's also uh, Space Exploration Day, which is very exciting with all of the images that NASA has released recently and how infinitely small it's really making me feel in the past couple days, week. Oh, totally. And totally. I think we're learning more about space now than we ever have um, with the new technology allowing us to see so closely. So I'm here yes. for it. I just saw this TikTok about a planet that they found that is tidally locked into its sun. So it has a dark side. So one side of the planet doesn't see any sort of light whatsoever. And it's really fucking spooky. Fascinating. I wonder what kind of weird creatures they have over there. Oh, my God. I don't even want to know. But that it's also National Hot Dog Day for anybody that loves a Frank. Not me, but (laughs) I appreciate uh, the love for the American snack. I was thinking about a Costco hot dog, and those are the only ones I eat. I think the price remains the same, too. It does. Like a dollar. It has has not gone up in inflation, which I really appreciate. Thank you, Costco. All right. Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. There is no question that some of the most shocking and senseless crimes you hear about are a tragic case of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. When we hear about the murder of someone who's a pillar of their community and devoted to protecting citizens, this can be all the more devastating. We immediately turn our minds to what sort of opportunistic predators are walking the streets, especially when it comes to things like robberies gone wrong. But when someone has dedicated their life to being civic-minded and they're suddenly snatched away in circumstances, which raises questions about their reputation, things can get uncomfortably murky. Things go from black and white to shades of gray. That is, until someone cracks, spills the truth, and opens a Pandora's box that they can never again close. And once the truth emerges, sometimes it's even uglier than we expected. Like they say, sunlight is the best disinfectant especially when it comes to exposing sinister plans. 
I love that. So we begin today's case on September 9th of 2016. This is just two days before the 15th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Serena Williams loses her U.S. Open tennis semifinal and her number one world ranking, which she's held for 186 consecutive weeks. What a badass. The number one song across the country was Closer by the Chainsmokers featuring Halsey. I'm sure that song has been in so many people's heads that they can't get it out so many times. I still love that song. You do? It doesn't. Yes. I can listen to it and we're done. Oh my God. It's very annoying to me. Cheap Thrills by Sia is still in the top three at the time, enjoying its 28th week in the charts. And at the box office, moviegoers were going to see Sully starring Tom Hanks. And that debuted at number one and went on to be the highest grossing film of the month. Right. And the setting for today's case is Royce City, Texas, located in the northeast of the state in Rockwall County. The city of around 12,000 people is about 33 miles east of Dallas. And thanks to the city's location along Interstate 30, in the decade prior to 2010, this led to a population growth rate of 216%. Royce City is home to Texas Rangers baseball pitcher Taylor Hearn. It's also known for its annual community events, including the Main Street Car Show, Trick or Treat on Main Street, and the annual Lighted Christmas Parade. Ooh. Sounds like jaunty. I'm into it. I know. So our first degree for today's case is named Jennifer, and she works at a Texas hospital as a nurse. And if you're wondering whether life imitates art and if the social dynamics of working in hospitals is anything like that show Grey's Anatomy, then you're not far off the mark. Anyone working on the front lines of healthcare knows that there's this certain hierarchy in hospital settings. Where you sit depends on the seniority of your job, but due to the intense and high-stress work environment, many coworkers quickly develop a unique bond. It's like its own little community away from reality. You know, there's your your various levels within the hospital, like kind of like ranks, I guess you would say. You have your your surgeons, your your internal medicine doctors, and you have your ER doctor, and then your nurses, techs, your firemen, EMTs, paramedics. So a lot of people interacting from different levels, I would say, within the hospital. But I mean, a lot of people do hang out outside of work as well. I mean, you, you kind of bond within within work, but a lot of people outside of that environment as well. You are exposed to a lot in that environment. So you have people that you, you know, you work with regularly or on the same shift, you know, they're like your extended family away from family, you know, the hospital never closes, so we're we're together for various holidays, weekends, uh, at least 12 hours a day together. You know, by the time you clock in, you clock out, that's closer to 13 hours. That bond between colleagues can sometimes develop into something more, especially when it comes to working alongside other first responders. And due to the implications of the jobs of firefighters, medics, and police officers, people in these positions often find themselves in and out of hospitals more often than they'd like. Because of this, it's quite common for nurses and patient care techs to date firefighters, paramedics, and police officers, or police officers to date doctors, so on and so forth, because all of these people are exposed to each other in the day-to-day of their jobs. Nurses or people in the healthcare profession seem to tend to date people in service, like firefighter, paramedic, or police officer. That seems like a thing. (laughs) So around the mid to late 2000s, Jennifer was working in a hospital and ER trauma unit in Denton, Texas, 
which is about 30 miles north of Dallas. And she soon became fast friends with a young woman named Chasey, who was working as a patient care tech at the time. The pair got along well and started becoming work friends and chatting frequently when Chasey was just starting her career in healthcare. She seemed very sweet. I think she was younger than I was, like 19, 20 at the time. And she seemed young, kind of immature, but I mean, really sweet. I didn't get any kind of creepy, weird vibes from her. She seemed very kind. So what do we know about Chasey? Well, in terms of biographical information, family, and her childhood, there's actually not a lot out there about her. But what we do know is that Chasey Tyler Mormon was born on March 15th of 1987. To Jennifer, at least, Chasey kept her cards pretty close to her chest when it came to talking about her parents and her home life. Based on public information records, it appears that at some stage her mom remarried. I don't remember her talking much about her life before Bob. I'm I'm sure she did, but I don't I don't remember her talking much about parents or where she went to school at. It seemed like once they started dating, that was most of what she talked about. So, who's Bob? Well, we're going to tell you right now. Chasey met Robert Pointer, aka Bob, a firefighter through a mutual friend, who it appears was also a first responder. So it speaks to that Grey's Anatomy dynamic we mentioned. And according to Chasey, the couple started dating in December of 2007. And as far as Chasey understood it, Bob was separated from his wife at that time when they began dating. I guess they were introduced initially through, uh, I don't know if it was one of his co-workers or another paramedic, but they seemed to like talk and connect at our hospital, which seemed kind of odd. They were think like 18 years apart. She was only like 19 or 20 at the time. And she said that um, he was separated or going through a divorce. So I don't know if that was because of them striking up a relationship. I didn't know the timeline of events for that, but just that he was separated with his current wife, but weren't officially divorced yet. Maybe some type of insecurity led her to her relationship with Bob. You know, he's an older guy. He's settled in life. You know, he has a good job. Maybe that's what led her to him. I'm not sure. According to Bob's friends and coworkers, Chasey seemed to be the one that was pursuing a relationship, often calling into the fire station to talk to Bob while he was at work. Jennifer wasn't quite sure what to think of this relationship, though. For one thing, it seems like a really odd pairing based off the 18-year age difference. I do remember thinking their relationship was just odd. They just seemed like, you know, she was young and vibrant. And, you know, he was middle a middle-aged guy who was in a relationship for 20 years and already had children. He just seemed more settled in life than she did, which is why I remember thinking it was it was odd, the two of them together. Just seemed like an odd match. So let's look a little more into Bob and his history. Robert Lewis Pointer III was born in Utica, Michigan on April 30th, 1969. He was one of six children to his parents, Robert Jr. II and Candy. And at some point, his parents split and both remarried. As a young man, Bob graduated from the Frisco Fire Academy and began a career as a fireman medic with the University Park Fire Department near Dallas. Around 88, Bob married his high school sweetheart, Amy, and the couple went on to raise two daughters, Natalie and Nicole. 
Bob's work ethic and dedication to helping others was called upon when he and three other University Park firefighters went to Louisiana in 2005 as part of the search and rescue and recovery effort to search for survivors following Hurricane Katrina. This work was unforgiving, it was tragic, and it was dangerous, and it posed tremendous risks to Bob. Bob and his crew waded through toxic waste to help rescue survivors, as well as record details of those who have died. Hardcore work and definitely a hero. So back in Texas, he often worked extra shifts and found the time to establish a part-time landscaping business. Bob's leadership, his loyalty, and his hardworking attitude saw him promoted to captain in 2012. But it wasn't just about work for Bob. This man was known as a gentle giant, and he was a dedicated father to his two daughters who he loved more than anything in the world. Natalie and Nicole loved him back in equal measure, partly because of his generosity of spirit, but also because he'd shown them how important it was to give back to your community. He was his daughter's hero and reportedly inspired Natalie to want to become a firefighter while Nicole started studying nursing. And we're looking at photos of Bob right now, and I cannot begin to explain how incredible his handlebar mustache is. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and he looks so distinguished. He's in his firefighter's uniform and the sort of dressed up one in his suit, and he looks like a superhero. <laughs> He's got a, you know, a bald head. And this mustache, blue eyes, and he's just, you know, looks like he's going to put some fires out. Yeah, he looks very, uh, like, he, he's no, he knows what he's doing. Totally. So despite seeming to have it all, things weren't always rosy in Bob's marriage to Amy. Because in around 2008, the 20-year relationship became rocky. Bob had become disengaged at home and was away from the house more often and for longer than usual. And we know from Chasey's account that by this time, she was apparently already dating Bob. So this explains why he may have been disengaged at home. Right. And then one day, Nicole found her dad had a second cell phone. Not a good thing. The cat is out of the bag at this point. Amy later told 48 Hours that she felt that Chasey was giving Bob attention and he liked being made to feel special, especially by a much younger woman. When Amy and her daughters found out who Bob was dating, it was 20-year-old Chasey. At some point, Bob obviously moved out, but again, we don't really have a lot of those details. Though it should come as no surprise to anybody that Natalie and Nicole were no fans of Chasey. The girls didn't like her very much. They weren't very fond of her. It just took time, I think, for them to even be kind of accepting of their relationship. I got the vibe that there is definitely drama between his children and her and that she wanted to make it work, but I think she knew that the likelihood of them warming up to her was pretty slim. Right. And people were surprised when their relationship got more serious given their 20-year age difference. But it did. And around 2009, Chasey found out that she was expecting. That's right. She was pregnant with a couple's first child. Chasey and Bob were ultimately married on December 28th of 2009. At the time, Bob was 40 years old and Chasey was 22. And even though it was a somewhat odd match, Chasey seemed happy in a photo taken of the two of them that day. She wore a black outfit and carried a small bouquet of flowers, while Bob looked distinguished, as always, with that epic mustache and his formal dress suit. Unfortunately, despite being newlyweds, the cracks were already starting to show in their relationship. She was really smitten by him. But then once they a little further along started dating, she kind of alluded to the fact that he was like verbally abusive, like he was just kind of run the, you know, like 
run the show between their relationship. They just seemed to fight a lot early on in their relationship. I don't know what, what all about, but the way she talked about it, she just kind of seemed unhappy initially. Jennifer was concerned about Chasey's well-being based on the picture that her friend Chasey was painting of married life with Bob. And Chasey spoke often about his shortcomings as a partner. She would talk about how they would fight and she didn't allude to anything physical, but that he just was a very strong personality and that they argued a lot. She didn't seem happy, but then, you know, she got pregnant. She was going to try and make things work. Nevertheless, in January of 2010, Bob and Chasey welcomed their first child, a daughter, who we're going to call Annabelle. Maybe this was the fresh start that Bob and Chasey really, really needed, and perhaps things were going to work out after all. Jennifer hoped Bob's behavior that Chasey had described to her was long behind the couple. The last thing their new daughter needed was to be born into an environment where there was a lot of tension. She was a young mom. Things did seem to get better. I know, you know, babies don't fix marriages, but things things seemed to get better between the two of them. She seemed to... She seemed to talk better about their relationship. She did seem happier. And Jennifer hoped that Bob and Chasey would be happier. But unfortunately, that wouldn't be the case. Cut to when Jennifer first heard the devastating news of Bob's death six and a half years later. I was at work and I remember um, I actually went back to this hospital several years later to work again. And I remember hearing about it while I was at work. And so a bunch of us who had, you know, worked with her previously were talking about it. And it was just a kind of a shock to all of us. Everybody loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. So it's going to take you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. I'm really feeling this because Lex and I both are really like into Gatsby stuff right now. So I am loving the vibe of this game. And you're going to step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. It's perfect for all of the firsties out there. There's mystery, danger, and romance as you search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. And you can customize your very own luxuries a state island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Okay, so listen, we are busy ladies over here on the first degree. And when I have a moment of free time, I don't want to spend it grocery shopping. I want to spend it rotting on the couch and watching reality TV. And that is why I love Thrive Market. So Thrive Market is a go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstop is such a huge time saver. So Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They actually restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So you can go on their website and use their filters to suit any of your lifestyle needs. If you're allergic to a certain ingredient, if you just don't want to have it in your life, that's why Thrive Market is so awesome. So whether you're looking for organic snacks for your kids or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. 
clicks. I love this so much because I don't want to read every ingredient when I go to the grocery store. It's so easy to do it online, honestly, when I'm rotting on the couch. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash first for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash first. Thrivemarket.com slash first. Fuel up fast with Factors restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, or cleanup needed. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Get started today and get after your goals. Plus, Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. For me, I was really struggling to get enough protein. I always do. But Factor's meals are protein-packed, and they're so good. And it's so easy when I'm slammed busy working in the middle of the day to just have lunch right there, not needing to do anything, except heat it up. Head to factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 and use code DEGREE50 to get 50% off. That's code DEGREE50 at factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 to get 50% off. In 2016, our first degree Jennifer was floored to find out that 47-year-old Robert Lewis Pointer, the husband of one of her friends and former co-workers, Chasey Tyler Pointer, had been murdered. Jennifer was understandably shocked. What the hell happened? Who could have and who would have killed someone like Bob? And why? So to answer these questions, you all know the drill. We gotta go back. We're going all the way back to when Chasey and Bob were dating. And we already know that things weren't all happy and blissful behind the scenes. And here's what else we know. About 18 months after Bob and Chasey's daughter Annabelle was born in the summer of 2011, the couple was under such severe financial stress that they filed for bankruptcy. Again, we don't know the specifics of how they got into this position or whether it had anything to do with the terms of Bob's divorce settlement, but that sort of pressure is the last thing that any new family needs. After having Annabelle in December of 2013, Chasey decided that she wanted to embark on a weight loss journey. By late 2015, Chasey had dropped over 100 pounds in a two-year period. She had felt better than she ever had and was loving her newfound confidence. But the truth was, deep down, Chasey's body transformation was masking a deep sense of insecurity because she felt that Bob, her husband, still held a flame for his ex-wife, Amy, and she claimed to always feel as though she was second best. And soon, Chasey felt her and her husband drift apart. The couple was eventually sleeping in separate bedrooms. Chasey later told 48 Hours that it was at this point that Bob's aggressive behavior started to intensify due to him taking testosterone and steroids. This behavior, which sometimes included mood swings and inexplicable fits of rage, is commonly known as roid rage. And according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, roid rage is a term describing aggressive behavior, poor impulse control, and violence resulting from the use of anabolic steroids, testosterone, and other appearance and performance-enhancing drugs. 
Chasey later alleged that as well as engaging in verbal and emotional abuse, Bob would become enraged, grabbing her by the hair and throwing her up against the wall. And this was all news to Bob's ex-wife, Amy, and their daughters, Natalie and Nicole. None of the women knew Bob to be violent or have an aggressive bone in his body. In fact, Natalie went to live with her dad and stepmom for six months when she was 16 years old, and she never saw any of the behavior that Chasey claims happened. Chasey wasn't surprised her stepdaughters didn't believe her, giving the existing animosity between them. But she didn't make any reports of the alleged abuse because she was worried Bob would lose his job. At the same time, Chasey was still enjoying the compliments and positive feedback she was receiving from others about her new look. But she was desperate for Bob's praise and attention, but felt it wasn't forthcoming. Chasey even did a boudoir photo shoot to inject some spark back into their marriage, but that didn't work. And Chasey felt Bob preferred her being more curvaceous like she was when they first met. And it was at this point, and this is what Chasey claimed, drove her to begin cheating on Bob. It seemed like once she lost weight, she seemed like a different person. I mean, she had this newfound self-confidence, and I don't know if that is what inspired, you know, inspired all the all the affairs or not. That was a shock to me. Initially, she had like gone through quite a bit of weight loss and you could just tell from her pictures that she was really feeling herself. She was really happy in the way she looked and that seemed to carry over to the rest of her life. So I didn't know if this was like a post-separation weight loss or if this happened while they were actually together. But looking back, like who she was having a relationship, I was honestly surprised at who she chose to have an affair with. But it wasn't just one man that Chasey chose to stray with. It was several. And Chasey didn't seem too concerned about covering up her tracks either. Then on one day in 2014, Bob's daughter Natalie saw that Chasey had left her Facebook account open on her computer. And as Natalie scrolled through the private messages, her stomach dropped. Chasey had been having explicit online conversations with other men. But that's not all. It got worse. According to Natalie, while Bob was working long shifts, Chasey would leave her daughter Annabelle in Natalie's care while she snuck out to see other men, and she was always giving an excuse to where she was going. That's really bad. Right. And Natalie knew her dad would be heartbroken by Chasey's infidelity, but she had to do the right thing. Natalie couldn't just stand by knowing Chasey was cheating on her father. So when Natalie told her dad that Chasey was being unfaithful, Bob promptly filed for divorce citing the reason as conflict of personalities. But true to his kind-hearted nature, Bob didn't pursue disillusion of the marriage and chose to give it another try despite Chasey's duplicitous actions. We often see situations where one party wants to stay together for the sake of their child, and this was no different. Bob loved their daughter Annabelle dearly and really wanted to make a second marriage work. And it was noted that despite Chasey's claims of Bob's abuse— She didn't ever file for a protective order or any other documentation of the abuse. So things weren't great between Bob and Chasey, but the couple did reconcile, if only for the sake of their daughter. Two years later, Bob's daughters, Natalie and Nicole, had another reason to be somewhat concerned. Bob had a $685,000 life insurance policy, and his eldest daughters were the beneficiaries. But in April of 2016, at Chasey's urging, Bob changed the terms of his policy. If anything happened to him, the money would now go to Chasey, who is the new primary beneficiary. 
Now, we're absolutely not suggesting that Natalie and Nicole were in any way interested in their potential share of the funds, but they definitely were concerned that Chasey was exploiting Bob and what this could all mean. So if you're wondering whether Chasey's infidelity had come to an end, the answer is no. She continued to be unfaithful. And in the end, Bob had enough. He wanted to catch Chasey in the act. So he secretly installed a security camera out in the front of their house without Chasey's knowledge. That way, if anyone came calling when Bob was working an overnight or extended shift, he would know about it and he would catch her in the act. Only 12 days before Bob's murder, one of Chasey's boyfriends, who we're going to call Brian, rang the doorbell at the Pointer home. Brian later told police he had no idea that Chasey was married and she told him that she'd been divorced since 2014. And during their affair, Chasey had been crying on Brian's shoulder, telling him Bob had been abusive towards her. Brian tried to convince Chasey to go to the police about the abusive behavior, but she never seemed to want to. Chasey hustled Brian away from the property, but it was too late. It had all been caught on camera and it marked the beginning of the end of their marriage. One of the men that Chasey got involved with was a man named Michael Glenn Garza. Chasey and Michael met via Facebook of all places during the summer of 2016. Born around 1979, Michael lived just east of Royce City and worked as a truck driver. He was different than Bob, to say the least, and not necessarily in a way that would make anyone think Chasey was moving up in the world. Bob wasn't super handsome, but I mean, he was, I mean, he was an outstanding citizen. He was a hard worker. He had his life together, and that's not the picture that I got from Michael Garza, he just, he didn't look the part. I just did not picture that if she was going to have an affair, that that's who she would have picked to have an affair with. I'm not surprised as much about an affair because I think their relationship probably started from uh, an affair. It just seemed odd, her choice of, I don't know any of the other uh, people she had an affair with, but he just seemed like an, an odd choice. So at this point in the situation, Bob was confiding in his friends and coworkers about the dire state of his marriage. He wanted to be sure he'd done everything he could to try to get the relationship back on track. In early September, he, Chasey, and Annabelle actually took a four-day vacation to Mexico, hoping that that would make things better. Two days into the vacation, Chasey texted Michael Garza, saying that Bob was getting suspicious that she was still running around on him. So at least to Bob's face... Chasey was saying that all of her affairs, all the cheating was over, and clearly that was a lie. And this resulted in a confrontation. And upon returning home, Bob had finally made up his mind for good. And he told a friend, I just can't do this anymore. Little did Bob know that only two days after this conversation, he'd have his entire life stolen from him. I do remember that it seemed like that they were not together a long time before they were actually separating. I was actually kind of surprised, like, when all of this came out, that they had just went on a vacation to Mexico together, which, judging by her Facebook pictures, like, he wasn't anywhere in them and hadn't been in her pictures for quite some time. So I just assumed the relationship had already ended and they probably got divorced, separated. If they were actually still together then she just didn't post anything about him. Then on the night of September 9th at around 10.45 p.m., Royce City police officers were dispatched to an area near Hunt County Road 2595. When they arrived on the scene, they found Chasey frantically flagging them down. 
She breathlessly told officers that someone came up to Bob and shot him while he was in Chasey's car. Chasey's retelling of the incident was all captured on video thanks to the officer's body cams, which were rolling. Miss Pointer. Yeah. Yeah. You okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, I just I keep seeing his face. My, right. My We've been having problems. And we, I was coming to beat him at the Jackson Box so we could talk. Uh-huh. We used to stop and get talk, tacos at, at Jackson Box when he'd come home late from work. When I went off the road... That's when I called him and I said, I need you to come help me. And he said, where are you? And I told him, I said, I'm on the dirt road. That's all I know. I don't know the numbers. And so I told him. Breathe breathe for me, Miss Pointer. Calm down and breathe for me, okay? I got some questions. I'm trying to fill in some holes, okay? Okay. Okay. Have you ever been out here before? No. no, I've never never been out here before. Only tonight, right now? Yes. yes. Right now, tonight? Yes. Have you ever driven down this road before? No. Not by yourself or with anyone? No. Let me ask you this, okay? And I need to be honest with me, okay? okay. Were you out here with anyone else no. other than... No. I was out here by myself. He knew that I was seeing someone, and I told him, yes, that I was. And he kept telling me the other day we could get past it. Uh-huh. And he said that he could put it behind us because he was happy and he wanted us to try to work things out. When where he backed my Jeep out, he moved it about... 15, 10, 15 feet from where it was to make sure that it was going to be okay and he was going to drive around the corner. Mm-hmm. And then that's, there was someone saying, there was, it was, it was a loud shot. And the juice started rolling and I didn't see anything. And I saw, I saw a shadow. That's all I saw. And when I walked up to him, I yelled his name and I just felt something on me. And I got my, I'd already, I had my phone in my back pocket. And I called, I called, I, I just, I, I ran. I didn't know what else to do. Officers noted Chasey was hyperventilating, which was obviously understandable. She also had blood on her arms, shirt, and legs, which she said was Bob's. Yet she wasn't behaving in a way that seasoned detectives expected. When she talked, she spoke in an almost rehearsed, breathless, and halting manner. Officers went to Chasey's white Jeep, which was parked further down the road. And inside, sitting in the driver's seat, was Bob. He was slumped over. He'd been killed instantly by a single gunshot blast to his right temple. And the interior of this vehicle was covered in blood. And there was no sign that Bob struggled with anyone or even had any idea that he was about to be shot. There was no sign of a firearm or any shotgun shells at the scene, which was odd. In this regard, police knew they could immediately eliminate suicide as the manner of death. Chasey told officers that she was driving her Jeep on her way to meet Bob for tacos at a local jack-in-the-box. She was texting him when she didn't see where the Jeep was going, so she missed the turn in jack-in-the-box and took the wrong turn. Suddenly, she got stuck in the mud on this dirt road because it was unpaved and there had been recent rain. Chasey called Bob saying that she was stuck and that she needed him to come help her get the car out. Bob, being Bob and being a firefighter who handles emergencies and crisis situations, he knew he could help and he was on his way to help right away. Chasey walked up to meet Bob when he arrived and he parked some distance away from the Jeep so his vehicle wouldn't get stuck as well. Chasey said that she saw Bob get in the Jeep to reverse it and then heard a shot ring out. Chasey ran to the Jeep to find her husband shot in the head. She yelled Bob's name and said that she felt something on her. 
Chisi said that she saw a shadowy figure make a hasty retreat from the Jeep, which was still slowly rolling. She jumped inside and cradled Bob's head. Chisi called 911, and at some point she jumped out of the Jeep and started to run up the road to flag down vehicles. As it was, Chasey was lucky to have escaped with her own life. She just witnessed her husband's murder, which is probably one of the most traumatic things that can happen to anyone. She was just as much of a victim in what had happened. But something wasn't right. How exactly could someone have accosted Bob and Chasey in such a remote and rural area? Who waits in the shadows of the trees on a back road just to shoot a random man who he doesn't know in the temple? Nothing was taken, so there was no case of robbery here. And the muddy, unpaved farm-to-market road was really out of the way. You had to know this was here to get there. It seemed like a really strange route for Chasey to take to a jack-in-the-box restaurant. It's very off the beaten path. She told police that she only turned on the road because she missed the correct turnoff, like we said. And it was like Chasey had no filter. She told detectives that she and Bob were going to meet for dinner to talk through their marital problems. She explained Bob had contacted an attorney to get a divorce and that she was very concerned he was going to try to seek custody of their daughter, Annabelle. From the police perspective, there was still something very strange about the entire ordeal. If someone had followed Chasey or Bob, who was it? And why had they shot him? And how had they gotten away? Where was their car? Who would want Bob dead? And more to the point, why had the killer left Chasey alive as an eyewitness? So Chasey was read her rights. She wasn't under arrest. But even without an attorney present, she kept talking. And, you know, the police read her her rights because they were starting to suspect that this was no random incident. And, you know, people who have nothing to hide, hide nothing, right? But sure, as her words voluntarily tumbled out of her mouth, Chasey put herself squarely in the frame of being involved or being a suspect in her husband's murder rather than a victim. She began telling officers more about her marriage. She was offering information they didn't even ask for, saying that when she and Bob married, she was young and stupid, and now she didn't want to be married anymore. She said that they were sleeping in separate rooms. They said that she said that he was violent. It was a bizarre narrative, to say the least, given the circumstances, given she just cradled his head after watching him get killed. And police were sure that Chasey knew who the killer was. She told officers that she was at a friend's house earlier that night, and his name was Michael Garza. Yep, the very same Michael Garza that she'd been having an affair with. Police pressed her about the nature of their association. Chasey responded that they were in a relationship and they had had sex earlier that evening. And by this time, her breathing was under control, but she was stuttering as she talked and kept pausing as she was speaking. Chasey was taken to the police station where she was interrogated for eight long hours. And as she was interviewed, she told the police how much she loved her husband, Bob. She also provided more detail about what she saw about the murder, saying that she witnessed someone standing at the front of the Jeep and they were around six feet tall and clad in dark clothing. A couple of hours into the interview, detectives told Chasey that they were over her bullshit. Turns out they hadn't believed a word she had fucking said the entire night. They told her that they knew she knew who had killed Bob and that she was covering for whoever had pulled the trigger. And through tears and holding her face in her hands, Chasey admitted 
that the man she was having an affair with, Michael Garza, had been the one to shoot Bob while standing outside the car on the passenger's side. At this point, Chasey knew that the jig was up, but she was determined to give police all the information that she had. She now suggested that Michael was the one who was angry with Bob because she'd told Michael about Bob's alleged abuse during their marriage. And she said that she didn't want Bob dead. She just, quote, wanted him to know what it was like to be bullied all the time. So with Chasey's confession and her account of what happened, this begs the question, who is the mastermind and who is the pawn? I took French in high school, and I was so excited that we were going to France for Jack's wedding so I could practice my French, and it was only when I got there I realized just how rusty I'd gotten, and I wanted to communicate in French with the locals there so badly. If you can relate to this experience, then Rosetta Stone is right for you. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You can choose from one of 25 languages like Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Fast-track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a quick and natural way. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is so convenient, and it can be used on your desktop computer or as an app, with audio companion and ability to download lessons offline. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. So if you're a super busy person and you don't have time to go to the gym, or maybe you just don't even want to go to the gym and work out in front of a bunch of different people, you need to check out the Aloe Moves app. I'm obsessed with this app. So it makes it easy to keep your wellness routine on track because they have everything in one place. There's yoga, there's Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, and so much more. So either you're a beginner or you're an advanced person, Aloe Moves has the flow or class that will fit your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending on what you're feeling that day. So even if you only have five minutes, you can just get some movement in. I used Allo Moves all during the pandemic. It was amazing. Like I was on my yoga journey and I was obsessed with it. So you can find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and journaling for those quiet moments, even if you don't really want to get a workout on. And when it comes to sleep, it's just important as fitness and nutrition, and they've got you covered with Allo Moves. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Allo Moves. Go to Allo Moves com and use code FIRST for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com, code FIRST, A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S.com, code FIRST. Our first degree Jennifer was still reeling from the news of the murder of Bob Pointer, who was married to her co-worker Chasey. From the time police arrived at the crime scene, Something was off with Chasey's story. They didn't know what to make of it, but her behavior was odd. Within only a matter of hours, once she was in an interrogation room, she revealed to police that not only were there irreparable problems in this marriage, but that she was cheating on Bob with Michael Garza and several other men. And during Chasey's police interview, she dropped yet another bombshell, 
she did in fact know who killed her husband, Bob, and it was Michael. So it was now clear that there was more to the story than what Chasey had initially led police to believe. So what was the plan and how did it all play out? Chasey explained that in the weeks leading up to the murder, Michael had spoken about killing Bob. The morning of the murder, Chasey and Michael had made plans for the shooting to look like a robbery. Michael would confront Bob outside the Jack in the Box and demand that he leave Chasey alone. She said that she'd seen guns laid out on Michael's kitchen table, which he'd then put into his truck. But she didn't see Michael with any guns that night, saying that she was more focused on her phone. However, the plan changed, ultimately becoming one where Chasey would lure Bob into a remote area. Michael drove his truck and parked a few miles away from County Road 2595. Chasey picked him up and claimed that she headed towards the Jack in the Box where Michael told her to turn into the back road, saying Bob would be meeting them there. That's a weird part of the story, considering Bob and Michael didn't even know each other. So Chasey had to have facilitated this information to Bob. But okay. So when Michael got out of the Jeep, he apparently told Chasey to drive to a certain turn in the road and then call Bob. Again, this is all according to Chasey. Chasey did, as Michael said, and called her husband. When Bob arrived, she noticed he was wearing the cologne he wore on the couple's wedding day, which is such a heartbreaking observation for her to make, given the callousness of what would happen next. She remembered making a joke about it, which made Bob laugh. He was laughing in his final moments, thinking that him and his wife were connecting over an inside nostalgic memory. Again, it's it's sickening and gut-wrenching to think of. So as Chasey walked towards the Jeep, while Bob was in the front seat trying to get it out of the ditch for his wife, she yelled out, stop, apparently directed at Michael, according to her. Chasey claimed she wanted to call the entire thing off. She didn't want Michael to confront him at all. And she also claimed, again, she didn't know he had a gun. And the next thing she knew, there was a gunshot. It was too late. It was all over. But there's a question. Why would she yell out at all? If, according to her, Michael's only intention was to confront Bob. Michael's plan after killing Bob was to take his truck and burn it, along with the clothes Michael was wearing. But this never came to fruition. Chelsea dialed 911, but claimed that Michael ran up on her, grabbed her phone as she called 911, and threw it on the ground. She was adamant that there had never been any plan to lure Bob out for the express purpose of killing him. The cops saw right through Chasey's changing narrative and didn't buy her bullshit at all. They didn't even believe that she even really loved Michael like she was claiming. They theorized that he was simply a means to an end and a pawn in the game where Chasey was pulling the strings. The evidence supported the theory that Chasey groomed Michael to murder Bob on her behalf. She'd lied to and manipulated Michael, making him believe her life was at risk. Jennifer couldn't believe her friend could have been so devious and calculated. I had a whole mix of emotions, you know, a lot of contradictory feelings like that. That body cam footage seemed to me way over the top. And I could tell that the officer didn't think the scenario made sense, which to me didn't either. It didn't seem like it was the best planned out crime. And now this brings us to the question of who was the real mastermind here. And 
As investigators trawled Chasey's social media history and went through all her text messages, combing through everything, they uncovered a text that she'd sent to Michael the day before the murder. And this text said, I can't love you unless Robert is out of the picture. Another text followed. I've made up my mind. But, you know, when confronted with this, Chasey just says, no, Michael was the one in charge of the entire plan. And he had told her to drive the Jeep around the corner to this spot, told her where and when to call Bob and what to say, that she was stuck in the mud and Kenny come help her. So, you know, Chasey is essentially throwing Michael right under the bus, but that should be no surprise by this point. Did she want to see this go down to know that it was the deed was done? Or I just, I can't imagine any other reason wanting to be there when that happened. I wouldn't want to see anything like that. I wouldn't want to be there if I had plotted, been the mastermind of all this. I wouldn't have wanted to be there. So I think it's super interesting. And I think this is sort of an underlying theme to discuss the fact that Chasey was a caregiver. She worked at a hospital. She was a patient tech. Yeah. How could she not have an appreciation for what Michael was about to do? You know, she saw death daily. She saw people given news about their loved ones having a terminal illness. She saw car accident victims. She saw the carnage. She saw the pain on the loved ones' faces of those who lose their lives. How could she be so, like, how could she do this given that she understands the ripple effect? Yeah. The callousness is really shocking considering, you know, you think of healthcare workers as being so empathetic and just their whole life's purpose is to help people. It kind of goes against everything that you think of when you think of any healthcare worker. Sure. And I know she's not a doctor, but what the first in the Hippocratic Oath, it's do no harm, you know? And you would just think being in that environment, that would be uh, like the North Star of her morality compass. And it clearly just wasn't. No. She, of all people, seeing what we see at work, knew the finality, like, of what was going to happen. And just to, to not care about that, to one, be present for that. And to not seem to care about that is just crazy to me. That that was the father of your, your child. And not only did she plan that out, but was there to witness it, which is just crazy. So what was the real motive here? We already know Bob's daughters with his first wife, Amy, Natalie, and Nicole were suspicious of Chasey convincing Bob to change the beneficiary details on his life insurance policy. As detectives looked further into the couple's finances, they found out that not only was Bob planning on selling the family home and applying for custody of Annabelle, the daughter that he shared with Chasey, but also that Chasey found out about his plans the day before the murder. The timing was awfully coincidental considering Bob died the very next day. Investigators concluded that this was no accident. And with Bob out of the way, Chasey planned to make a claim on his life insurance. As if things couldn't get any worse for Bob's shattered family, police found incriminating text messages from Chasey trying to arrange Bob's murder not just via Michael, but a range of other men, who she'd manipulated into believing that she was a victim of family violence and promising a new life together once her husband was gone. That is fucking disgusting. No, it's like she's shopping for a hitman. She's like, who is dumb enough to fall for this? Who's dumb enough to do this for me? And thinking that she would be so cunning 
that only the pawn would take the fall. I think she manipulated him by telling him that he was he was abusive and that the way that they, you know, if they if they truly wanted to be together, then he had to be out of the picture. If they wanted to start this new family, then he had to be out of the picture. Chasey and Michael were soon both arrested and charged. And following Chasey's interview, police confirmed her connection to Michael via social media. A SWAT team raided his home, but he'd already skipped town. The day after the murder, Chasey was charged with conspiracy to commit murder and jailed on half a million dollars bond. And Annabelle was sent to stay with Chasey's mom. Michael wasn't on the run for long. Two days after the murder, he turned himself in and was promptly charged with the crimes himself. And he was held on a million dollars bond. Unlike Chasey, he refused to speak with police. But there was one thing the police were still missing, which they hoped they could put at least one, if not both of their suspects, permanently behind bars. And thankfully, five weeks later, a farmer plowing a field about a quarter mile from the County Road 2595 came across the almost literal smoking gun. The Mossberg 835 was still loaded and the shells were still in the magazine. They were matched the same type that had ended Bob's life. And the net only tightened around Michael when police traced the shotgun to its owner, who was Michael's brother. This is not looking good for either Michael or Chasey at the moment. I was trying to make it make sense, like make it fit what I knew of her. Like, there's no way that she would have done this. I mean, I knew they, I knew that they didn't always get along and they fought, but I mean, everybody fights in relationships, but it didn't make any sense that she would do something like that or have anybody else do something like that. So I was trying to find reason in it all and trying to see why she would have anything to do with something like that. I was open to other possibilities. And I initially I thought before I even saw that footage was like, well, if, if he died and somebody shot him, maybe it was self-defense just based on the way she talked about their relationship early on. I thought maybe that all that arguing just, continued in the relationship and she just couldn't take it anymore, you know? On July 10th, 2018, Michael was the first of the devious pair to go to trial and he pleaded not guilty. Of course he did. So court testimony was revealed that Michael had become obsessed with Chasey and would have done anything for her. He even told some close friends of what happened in the lead up to in the aftermath of the killing. Bob's father, Robert Sr., told the court that losing his son, quote, felt like someone took a hacksaw and cut out part of my soul. Ugh. Oh, my God. God, it hurts to read that. But the finger pointing wasn't over when it came to the accused. Michael testified, and he said that he hadn't used a shotgun on Bob himself. Instead, he claimed that he gave it to Chasey because Chasey wanted to kill Bob herself. So they were literally pointing fingers at each other. That's so insane. what would happen? It's it's like a it's a riveting sort of trial situation here. Right. So right now, Chasey was squarely in the firing lane herself. Because Bob didn't even know Michael, there was realistically no way that he would have got him out of the road by himself. Chasey was the linchpin to the whole operation. Michael was found guilty of murder and he was sentenced to 99 years in prison. Right. And Chasey and Michael had separate trials. And at this point, it was Chasey's turn. 
In May of 2019, her conspiracy charge was upgraded to capital murder after a grand jury heard compelling additional evidence alleging that money was a true motivator. Remember, he had made Chasey the beneficiary on his benefits and life insurance prior to his murder. And this upset to a capital offense. It's an aggravating factor. Plus, Amy, Bob's ex-wife, and his daughters, Natalie and Nicole, had always felt Chasey killed Bob for his money after she found out that he was planning to divorce her. And again, that she was the one driving this entire plan. After all, Michael Garza had nothing to gain except for Chasey, but Chasey had everything to gain. Between July 2016 and the date of Bob's murder, Chasey and Michael texted and chatted online at least 85 times. And all of these correspondences were used as evidence in this trial. When Chasey went to trial in June of 2019, prosecutors announced that they wouldn't be seeking the death penalty. But the nature of communication with her many boyfriends, over 10,000 text messages in total, revealed her true colors and her true intentions. On July 11th, she texted one lover about Bob saying, quote, I need him gone, gone, G-O-N-E. The guy responded, I'm not a magician. And Chasey replied, well, I need one. To another man, she wrote, I would be better off with him gone, benefits, and can't lose custody. And like Alexa said earlier, it was like Chasey was shopping around for this amateur hitman. It's fucking insane and disgusting. Yeah. Only one week before the murder, she texted another man about Bob saying, quote, I wish he'd run out of air in a fire. The irony of even using an anecdote relating to fire and that he's yeah. like this beloved firefighter is so disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Like, what is wrong with this person? Dude, fucking psychopath. So while she was on vacation in Mexico a week before the murder happened, Chasey texted Michael saying, quote, he's coming after me sooner or later. Michael responded, fuck him. No, I will shoot that dude. Three days later, Chasey again texted Michael saying she couldn't be with him any longer. He replied, you're wrong. I will stop him. The defense argued Chasey didn't take Michael's threat seriously and that she'd actively tried to discourage him from inserting himself in the situation. But if she did, there was no evidence of it. Right. And it was one bombshell after the next at Chasey's trial. You'll recall that we mentioned a guy named Brian. That was an alias, but we called him Brian, whom Chasey was also having an affair with. Michael had a rude awakening when it was revealed that on the night of the murder, the very night that Michael Garza had done this to defend Chasey's honor, to, to shoot her husband, Chasey actually had plans to spend the night with Brian. And actually, that same day of the murder, earlier in the morning, she had sex with Brian that morning. And she was even texting with Brian while she was out on County Road 2595 with Michael. She's playing all of them like fucking fiddles. The defense countered, though, and said that it's no crime to be unfaithful in a relationship, which indeed it is not. But Chasey's choices about her extramarital affairs weren't what was on trial here, and that may be true. But the defense continued to argue, who calls 911 if they want someone killed? Why would she do that? Why would she draw police towards her? But the thing was, none of these revelations or attempted explanations helped her at all. The evidence was pretty damning. And the prosecution countered that when Chasey realized what had happened and realized that Bob really was dead, she was so panicked by the reality of what had just occurred 
that she called 911 without hesitation. But the thing is, there was this text evidence of her soliciting him being killed to other people. So it's like, you know what? People deserve defense attorneys. It's their right. People need it. It keeps the innocent out of jail. But like valiant effort of the defense attorney. But you don't have many options here because this looks really bad for her. No, grasping at straws. And if you can believe it, even at this point, Chasey was still quietly confident that she'd be found not guilty. But she was found guilty of murder and received the maximum punishment of life in prison without parole for 30 years. And the relief of Bob's family and friends was obviously incredible at that moment. Chasey maintained her innocence, and in January of 2020, she gave a tearful, highly publicized interview to Peter Van Sant of 48 Hours. But for Bob's loved ones, Chasey's cries were nothing short than a case of crocodile tears. Yeah, of course, because after they were found guilty, both Michael and Chasey appealed their convictions. In July of 2020, the state appeals court affirmed Michael's conviction and sentence, and Chasey's conviction was upheld in May of 2021. Neither Chasey nor Michael will be eligible for any kind of parole until September of 2046. That is a long time and deserved time. For now, the convicted killers have plenty of time to think about what they've taken away, not just from the Pointer family, but from the broader Royce City community. Bob had a long and distinguished career and meant the world to his daughters. The life of a gentle, generous, and kind man of a tremendous integrity had been snatched away. Bob's second marriage hadn't turned out like he'd hoped, but he was looking to the future and taking steps to change his life for the better in the days before he was tragically gunned down. As for Bob's life insurance policy, you'll be pleased to know that the proceeds were all split between Natalie, Nicole, and Annabelle. Annabelle, of course, now has neither parent to care for her. Custody is shared between both her maternal and paternal grandparents. One of the biggest tragedies in this is that unlike Bob, Chasey was unable to just move on without feeling entitled to some sort of moral or financial victory, which leaves her friend Jennifer at a loss to comprehend. I think he, I mean, he worked a high stress job too, being a first responder. I I think just realizing where you are in your life, how is your job affecting you? I mean, I'm not saying that that's what was going on with her, but I'm sure both of their jobs affected some aspect of their lives. They both worked high stress environment. But just to be self-aware, and if you see that your relationship isn't working, what is wrong with a good old divorce? <laughs> I just don't understand to 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 go that length to find security with your child or with a new a new boyfriend. I, I just don't understand that. We asked Jennifer how knowing her former friend and coworker has been convicted of murder and all of that and knowing what Chasey was capable of, how has that affected her? The realization hit me that you, you just, you truly don't ever know anybody. The, the darkest parts of themselves, you're never going to see. And you, people aren't always what they seem. And you, people often don't let other people see that side of themselves. Like Jennifer said, Sometimes you can't really tell what people are hiding and people are hiding something. Everyone is hiding at least a couple secrets. And as we know, some are bigger than others. Not only did Chasey choose the wrong path, but she was determined to manipulate and implicate and drag down other people in her path. 
and implicate and ensnare people in this plan. But on some level, she must have known that it was never going to work out the way she fantasized. And as a result, she destroyed the lives of other people, including her daughters, in addition to her own. And you know what? Maybe Chasey knew exactly what she was doing. And maybe she was okay with orchestrating the murder of her daughter's father at any cost and was arrogant enough to think a court wouldn't find her guilty or sentence her to life in prison. Maybe a court wouldn't take her away from the very daughter she was so desperate to hold on to. And uh, if that's the case, maybe she's okay with being locked up for the rest of her life to think about the life she stole. A huge thank you to Jennifer for being our first degree guest this week. If you're listening and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook group and join our Patreon because we have lots of bonus content for you there and stick around because tomorrow we have a brand new episode of killing time right in your feed. Yes. And uh, remember only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close, but not that close. There you go. Happy Happy moonwalking day. Hot dog day. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for the first degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing by Gemma Harris. Sources for this episode are court documents, the Greenville Herald Banner, CBS News, the Dallas Morning News, Heavy.com, the Royce City Herald Banner, and the Cinemaholic. And as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source.